Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Every Christian knows the tale a man is robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. A priest and a Levi both pass him by, but a good Samaritan feels compassion for him, bandages his wounds, and pays for his care. Jesus used this story to answer a question. The scriptures say, love thy neighbor, but who is your neighbor? The story leads the lawyer to answer his own question. Your neighbor is everyone, strangers, foreigners, or even people from groups you despise, since the Jews despise the Samaritans. But today, we aren't going to examine this well-known parable. Rather, we're going to look at the introduction to the parable and what it has to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. And a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That was Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. First, let's use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context of a Bible reading before attempting an E, explanation. You put those letters together, it spells the word SPACE. Now here we see that the speaker is Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and future king over all the earth. The audience is Jewish people. And this is important because Jews were already, quote unquote, saved in the sense that they were God's chosen people. Jordan, could you explain to our listeners a little bit about what we mean? Yeah, we talk about this often. And basically at this time, there was a national salvation, or as Pastor Whipple, the founder of our ministry, used to say, the Jews were saved on a layaway plan. And the layaway plan meaning that they were looking forward to and awaiting the coming of the ultimate final sacrifice, their Messiah, who would, who would ultimately cover all their sins. But by being faithful Jews and following the, the rituals of the law, they were staying in a righteous path until Christ fulfilled the, the law, basically. Agreed, Jordan. So again, the audience was generally Jews, but specifically it was three groups of Jews. His disciples, the crowds that were always present, representing the nation of Israel, and of course, their leadership. Now, in this passage of Scripture, the leadership is represented by an expert in Jewish or Mosaic law. Such challenges from the leadership were not uncommon. Yeah, they weren't uncommon in the ministry of Jesus, and we can see that in a variation of today's Scripture reading that's found in Matthew 22. 
We read beginning in verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. So it's a very similar situation, but here we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees sort of, I'm sorry, here we see that the Pharisees sort of conspired to have this happen. And the same pattern occurs in Luke in chapter 20, when the Jewish leaders try to trick Jesus, you know, lobbing questions at him like, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Or, you know, trying to trick him or confuse him with uh, math, like, if seven brothers end up marrying the same woman, whose wife will the woman be in the resurrection? So they were, they were constantly trying to uh, trip him up, as it were, by asking these difficult questions. Sure. Now, as for the context, this is right after Jesus appoints 70 or so additional disciples to the original 12, because he says, quote-unquote, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, he sends them out in the same way he sent the 12 with specific instructions, and those were, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. So Jordan, these 70 do as instructed, and they return with joy and amazement, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, meaning that they could also cast out demons. Yeah, but Jesus says, don't rejoice about that. Rejoice because, quote, many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And this is very important for our lesson today, because it echoes something Jesus says in Matthew 13, when the disciples ask him, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? And this good, by the way, the Good Samaritan story is a parable. So what does he say in response to that, Andy? Well, if we look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, we read that it says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And this is Jesus speaking. But to them it has not been granted. And then Jesus says, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, in the flesh, they see, they hear, but in the spirit, they're blind and they're deaf. Yeah, right. And he follows this up by quoting a prophecy of Isaiah, and he ends by saying, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In other words, he's saying something very similar to what we read today in Luke 10, right before this lawyer gets up and asks this question about how to inherit eternal life. And we bring this up because it's a clue, it's a flag for us that the passage of Scripture that we're studying is about the mysteries of the kingdom, and it will require spiritual eyes and ears to understand its true meaning. For sure, Jordan. So now that we've considered the speaker, audience, and context, we're better equipped to give an explanation. There are a few keys to understanding this passage of Scripture. First of all, the Jews are already saved, and as we said, they're on the quote-unquote layaway plan. They just had to accept as a nation the message that the kingdom was at hand, meaning accept Jesus was there, accept that, that he was the Messiah that they were hoping for. And then after that, it was all works. Repent, which means basically turn back to God and be baptized. 
Live righteously and earn the inheritance that's set in heaven for you. The challenger in our passage is an expert in the law, so he knows all the commandments regarding how to live righteously. So, Jordan, with this in mind, let's break down the exchange. Okay, so Luke 10, 25 again says, And a lawyer stood up and put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So let's first examine this phrase, eternal life, Andy. Does this phrase mean never-ending life, as in once saved, always saved sense? Not quite, Jordan, but we have to get into the Greek to see why. Now, the Greek words here are zoe ionios. Zoe means life, but we have to be clear what life we're talking about. Is it the physical life or is it the spiritual life? And is there a difference? Yeah, so these are, these are key words. And, um, you know, the tendency when reading English is to just immediately substitute physical life. You know, life and death to us is life in the body and death in the body. But it's important to understand there's also a spiritual meaning to life and death, which Jesus uses most of the time he's speaking about life and death. And um, that's talking about after the body has moved on to its next state. That's talking about the afterlife, if you will. Yeah, so Zoe, or, and, and by the way, this also applies to the girl's name Zoe, means life, but in this sense, it's talking about the spiritual sense of that word, not the physical life. And that's modified in this phrase by the adjective ionios. And, you know, that word is problematic in its translation because it doesn't really mean forever. Yeah, well, you know, some people might object to this, Jordan, because most Bibles translate it to the word eternal. And we all know in English, eternal means forever. It means never-ending. And the answer to that, Jordan, is actually found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. So let's take a look at the end of John's doxology here in verse 6. Yeah, Revelation 1.6, and this is key. It, it reads, And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that word forever in the Greek is the same root word as in our text today. It's ion, or as we'd say, eon. And in our text, it's eon-lasting life, or even more clearly, age-lasting life. So in Revelation, you know, it would more accurately read, dominion for the eon or for the age. And if for the age was supposed to mean eternally as in forever, why would John also add and ever? In other words, repeat eon a second time. That's the point, and that's why that verse is important to understanding the true meaning of this phrase. I mean, think about it. The phrase forever and ever, Andy, doesn't really make sense if forever already means a time without end. Yeah, that's a great point. And so, you know, what John is saying in Revelation is the Greek way of saying forever, he's saying for the next age and then the age after that, right. for the ages to come. So it's a, a time period and then another time period and so on. But that's not the phrase in our text today, Jordan. The phrase in our text today is for the age, and it's singular, right? So he's just talking about one specific time period, one specific age. From this, we conclude the lawyer is asking about the next age to come, which was the kingdom age, because don't forget, that's what was near or at hand. It was, it was possibly about to come in before Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, at this time in his ministry, that's basically what he was saying. You know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning that if you accept me, that age will begin. So. That, that's what the reference is. And if you're still skeptical about this, consider the word that precedes the phrase eternal life in our reading today. The lawyer, a devout Jew who was already saved, again, as a member of the nation of Israel and national salvation, says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and um, 
you know, basically we could rephrase that as what should I do to inherit life in the age or the next age, as we're saying. And what does that phrase inherit mean for Israel, Andy? Well, if you think about it, Jordan, and that's a great question, he didn't say, how do I inherit salvation? Because it was understood at the time, especially someone like this person, this Jew here, he knew the law, he was obedient to the law. He knew that the Jews were the chosen people. Right. He knew that he was on the path. If anybody was, was going to have a chance, a stab at making it to heaven, it was this guy, right? He was not asking, how do I get to heaven? He's specifically saying, now that I am a child of God, there's money left behind. There's an inheritance that I can receive. I can acquire that. Or a better word would be, I can attain to that inheritance. What can I do to get that, right? Right. So, and, and that's, that's the main key, the, the key here to this, his question. Yeah, so what can I do to inherit, you know, status in the kingdom? And, and we go to the next verse, Luke 10, 26, continuing in the story or the introduction here to the story. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Using the Socratic method, it's called where you answer a question with a question and let the, let the question arrive at his own answer. And the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you know, Jordan, when challenged that another time by another lawyer, Jesus gave the same answer. And he taught these two commandments capture the essence of the law. When we look at Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, we see that it reads, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question. Testing him, he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Question for you, Jordan. What does Jesus mean when he says that these two commandments are the foundation of the law? Yeah, he's getting to what we talked about before, which is agape, which is the highest level of love, you know, and, and basically you could, even, you could even condense these two commandments further into that one word, which is the kind of love that, of, of course, love of God with all your heart, all your soul. That's actually a great definition of agape or agape, as some say, that kind of love. And then, you know, uh, the breaking down of ego boundaries, we talked about that in another episode, is an, uh, the way to look at that kind of love. And that kind of love will allow you to truly love your neighbor as yourself. So really, it's all about love. Love is the foundation of the law. All the things in the law um, are built upon that godly type of love. And really, a lot of the rebukes that you see Jesus saying to the Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, it's because they, they lost that love. They were just to the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, which is supposed to be about glorifying God and, and treating each other with mercy and kindness and love. Yeah, those are great points, Jordan. And, and kind of like to bring it all together, if we're talking about the word love, and probably the better translation for us to understand of what the word love means is exactly to your point, bringing up the Pharisees. You had mentioned, you know, that he was warning them. He was Jesus was woeing the people not to be like them, because their definition of love was what I guess you could say the American definition is. It's I like this. I care about this. It's about me. I love you, Jordan, as a brother, so that you're important to me, and and that that's what I need, right? However, the definition of love according to God is is the opposite. 
When I say I love you, it's really about what can I do for you? It's giving, unconditionally not wanting anything in return. That's really what love's about. So when, it's, when we're talking about loving God with all that we are and all that we ever will be, it's being willing to sacrifice everything in our life, going all the way for God, whatever it takes. Yeah, that's a great point, Andy. And, you know, once the lawyer says this, uh, Jesus answers in Luke 10, 28, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. And again, you know, we have to consider all that we've learned today and understand what he means when he says, do this, meaning these are uh, works, essentially, and you will live. What, what does he mean by live, Andy? Well, he's, he's specifically talking about living during the millennial kingdom. Right. Jesus is going to set up his thousand-year kingdom on the earth. Satan himself will be taken captive. He will be chained up by the angel. He will be thrown into the chasm, the bottomless pit, and there will be a thousand years of peace on the earth. Jesus will take his rightful throne as king of the Jews, and God willing, we will be allowed entrance to come into that kingdom, travel back with him to the earth, leaving the judgment seat of Christ so that we can serve him. And that's what Jesus is telling him. If you want to live during that, that millennial age, you need to be obedient and follow and do these things. Yeah, if you want to inherit, that, this, this is the kind of work. And again, he goes back to that challenge of love, the, those two commandments, and he tells this story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. The point of that story really is like to really challenge this lawyer's notion of who is your neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? You know, and and uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. The Samaritans were the least loved people by uh, by a, an observant Orthodox Jewish person. Um, you know, just to skip to the conclusion of the parable, Luke ten. This is the conclusion, starting in verse thirty six. Which of these three, Jesus says, meaning the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And everyone knows the story. And he, the lawyer, said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same, or go and do likewise. So maybe you can, uh, by way of recap and takeaway, kind of uh, summarize and then, and then reach this conclusion here, Andy. Sure. I mean... I would say, generally speaking, Jesus wants us to give. Jesus wants us to care. Jesus wants us to take the focus off ourselves instead of worrying about what people think of us. To your point again, how the Pharisees and Sadducees were more concerned about the outside of the cup and how people perceive them versus what was inside and what you're giving people in that cup. It's much more important, right? You want to be able to give them a clean cup of grape juice, not necessarily the outside, you know, being so pretty, right? So... To recap and some takeaways, Jordan, we should say the same to each other today. Go and do likewise. Show compassion. Treat everyone like a neighbor. Yeah, and the point I wanted to make about the Samaritan was that that was the least likely um, person to have done this in the lawyer's mind because Jews considered Samaritans I mean, really low-class garbage people. They, 
They intermarried with non-Jews. They didn't keep all the law, which was very important to them, all the law. And, you know, in fact, it was to the point where it said that a devout Jew would walk the long way around when traveling to, from one place from A to B to avoid walking through Samaria. That's how much they looked down on the Samaritans. Yet this Samaritan was the example that Jesus chose. He's the hero of the story. And I think he was chosen to show what God wants us to do, which is to show true love in the form of unquestioning mercy. Yes, Jordan. Do this and you will live a great life in the coming kingdom. That's what Jesus wanted the lawyer and his disciples to see. That's what God wants those of us with spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to hear and see as well. And that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.